Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm always glad when I can hang out with my friends and we can talk about the Lord and we can uh, we can just do life together. And David Wheaton is one of those friends that I, I get to enjoy, uh, not only David, but uh, his family. And I, I love being on the air with him. And he has been taking us uh, through a, a long year-long series on embracing a Christian worldview. And we're going to wrap up today. And we're going to kind of uh, go through a Cliff Notes version of everything that we've been talking about throughout the year. But once we get a little bit uh, organized on our website here uh, with on my webpage, we're going to put everything in order and they'll all be available to uh, review at your convenience. So if you missed any of this series, it's been wonderful. And I'm looking forward to uh, going through it again and uh, summarizing all we learned. So David... I am saying, let's get started. Uh, first of all, hello and Merry Christmas, but uh, let's define a worldview. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you as well, Bill, and it's been a really incredible year uh, doing these interviews with you. I, I really learned a lot myself just having to go through all the different elements of a Christian worldview or biblical worldview this year. And I just want to give listeners a framework for what we've gone over. And today it's just going to be some highlights and headlines of what we've covered, not as much in detail as we went by month by month. But you know, we talked about really four elements of a Christian worldview. There are four things. The fa- there's a foundation. There are fundamentals. There's formation of a Christian worldview and then how it functions. And so to get back to the question you asked, though, you know, define worldview And I would define worldview this way. It's one's perspective on all matters of life based on a collection of beliefs and convictions that drives the way one thinks and lives. And I sort of said that slowly because there's really three clauses in that definition. The first one is one's perspective on all matters of life. In other words, your worldview is an all-encompassing lens through which you interpret life, whether mm-hmm. you watch things on, in the news or whatever comes at you in life, your worldview is your lens for how you interpret life. And the second clause is it's based on a collection of beliefs and convictions. So where does your worldview come from? It's shaped by the, the influences that you've had in your life and your life experiences. So whether it's your parents or teachers or mentors or friends, what you read, watch or hear, where you grew up, uh, your your triumphs in life, your trials in life, all of this is goes into the formation of your worldview. And then the third clause of that definition is your worldview drives the way you think and live. And, and this is that our decisions in life, and life is just one series of one decision after another, whether it's big or small or whether we even know we're making decisions, that's what life is about. Our decisions are driven by our worldview. So you just take a quick example here. This is a very stark example, but I think it actually it actually paints the picture well of how important worldview is, is that just think of the example of two women get pregnant. The first woman 
would never even consider getting an abortion. She believes that her baby is a a gift from God, and abortion is the intentional murder of a human being created in God's image. That's her worldview. Mm -hmm. Now, take woman number two. She gets pregnant, and she views the baby inside of her as an unwanted burden. And she decides to have an abortion because she believes the preborn baby is just a cluster of cells and that abortion is a woman's right to her own health care decisions. So how can two people have the same thing happen to them and come to completely different conclusions about every element of it? Yeah. And the answer to that is it's because of their worldview. They have different beliefs, values, ethics, morality, and especially of a different theological framework. Mm. And so all those things go into the makeup of one's worldview, and you can see how it drives our decisions. They can be polar opposites. All right. David Wheaton is my guest. We are uh, talking about embracing a Christian worldview. We're wrapping it up today after a a year-long study on this, and I appreciate helping establish and define what a worldview is. Now, David, maybe we can just Remind everyone what are the the main worldviews. You gave a great illustration of uh, two women with very different worldviews, but what are some of the main worldviews? Yeah, there are secular worldviews, which means secular means that they're not religious. They don't believe in a supernatural power beyond ourselves. So just what's material in the world is all there is. What you can see in, in a sense with your senses, that's all there is. That's a secular worldview. And then there are religious worldviews, one that have religious elements or supernatural elements to them. Now, there's probably about six or seven prominent ones. Mm-hmm. Of course, the major religions like Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, those are religious worldviews. But there's also secular worldviews, of course, like secular humanism. This is the most prominent worldview, I think, in Western civilization now. This is what's happened to the secularization of Europe and in the United States and other Western countries. And so... These worldviews, these six or seven main ones, and all the other sub ones that are maybe crosses of them, or, or you know, it's like a buffet line. You pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that. All worldviews, except for one, whether it's a religious worldview or a secular worldview, all of them, except for one, are based on the word of man or the ideas of men. Mm-hmm. Only, only the Christian worldview or the biblical worldview claims to not be based on the word of man, but the word of God. You know, second Peter chapter one, verse 20 says, know this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So it's not up to man for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. They didn't come from men, but the Bible didn't, but men, okay. Moved by the Holy spirit spoke from God. And this is a first tier doctrine of the Christian faith that the Bible, the, the basis for the Christian worldview is not the words of man, even though men wrote them down, but it was God breathed. God, the Holy Spirit came upon these men, directed them in the things that God wanted to be said in this book. That is a critical distinction between all the other worldviews in the world, whether they're secular, religious, and biblical worldview or biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. David, it's I... important to realize that. And just last thing is, yeah. so like, for instance— the secular worldview in our country, secular humanism, this is very prominent. They don't believe in God. So then man then is the authority. Man is really God with a small G. 
And so who are the prophets of our society that write the quote unquote holy scriptures for us? Is it's the professors, it's the highly educated, it's the educated elite, it's the the prominent people in the media, it's the writers and thinkers. Those are the ones that develop the secular worldview as opposed to the Christian worldview, which is completely shaped by God. Yeah. From coming from a Christian worldview, when you see something so dramatically different from what I love and believe in, I saw an online uh, service. Uh, I watched it for a professor, and he called himself a humanist, and he uh, had the person officiating was from the humanist society, and all they talked about was so-and-so was a good person. So-and-so showed respect. Um, And the highest Mm -hmm. thing you can do in life is to be a good person. That was it. See that that is fundamentally at odds with a biblical worldview. What what does the Bible say about the nature of man? Not that we're inherently good, but that we're inherently sinful, both by nature and we're born that way, and by choice. And that's just the opposite. There's a perfect worldview distinction right there. A secular humanist view is that you know man is inherently good, and with the right education and right funding and right environment, he'll make good decisions. Yeah fundamentally opposed to biblical Christianity. Yeah, no one is righteous. No, not one. That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what? Let's talk more then about the foundation for the Christian worldview, because that's one I'm most interested in. I know you are too. Yeah, so that that's the, the first element of this four parts of embracing a Christian worldview. And really the foundation for the Christian worldview is literally the first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the third a verse of the Bible says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so just in literally two sentences, there's the assertion that God exists. In the beginning, God, he creates, created the heavens and the earth. And not only that, but in verse three, it's not just a, a God who exists and creates, but it's a God who speaks. He, he actually communicates. And so this is the basis, the foundation for the Christian worldview, because if there isn't a God, and this God doesn't create and doesn't speak, then we all just are up, just should be doing what we want to do because we're not accountable and we have this, and there's no higher authority than us to tell us how we should live and how we can please him. So God does exist and, and speak. That is the foundation for the Christian worldview. So therefore, we are compelled to know, well, who is this God? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what has he spoken? How can we know him? And what does he, what does he want from us? And so we know that God exists and speaks because of external revelation. Just look outside, look at creation. We know that something can't come from nothing, as evolutionary people say. Um, That's impossible. We look at internal revelation, as you were just talking about, of someone else, the humanist. We look inside of ourselves, we have a conscience. We know. I mean, how do we know that murder or, you know, murdering a child or anyone is always wrong? Well, who put that conscience inside of us? That, That shows that there's a God greater than us that put a moral code inside of us. Not only that, we have a, a personal revelation that we've seen, the, the person of Jesus Christ, which is God in human flesh. Here we are at Christmas. God sent his son as a personal revelation to us to show us that, yes, there is a God, and he lived a life and did miracles and rose from the dead. Oh, yes, God does exist, and he has spoken in the person and work of his son. And finally, there's a special revelation that God's giving us to know that he exists and speaks, and that's the Bible. This is the special revelation from God is 
the accuracy of it, the unity of it, 40 authors across 1,500 years writing about one theme of Jesus the Redeemer, the fulfilled prophecies, the in- integrity of the, the text over thousands of years, the testimonies of changed lives. I mean, God didn't leave us guessing about whether he exists, who he is, and what his will is. He gave us a book, a supernatural book, that, uh, with a message directly from him. So this is the foundation of the Christian worldview. And we just, like a house, you build on that foundation knowing what it's all based on. Mm, so good. David Wheaton is my guest. To learn more about David at thechristianworldview.org. He's a weekly radio host, an amazing author, and a great uh, great man of God. I'm always uh, blessed to have him on the show. And I'm going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to do some more uh, talking about embracing a Christian worldview. We're kind of wrapping it up. It's been a year-long series. It's been wonderful. And uh, we'll be right back. Oh, there's so much sadness and desperation and loneliness, especially at Christmas time. It seems to me that there is almost like a big magnifying glass on the world, and we see problems just magnified, and we see people in their desperate situations almost worse than ever. But there is something we can do about it. And when we think of the story of Jesus, that is the story of hope. And if you have a story to tell, and you can give hope to someone this year by sharing their story, we want you to do it. You can go do that at myfaithradio.com. I encourage you to do it. Welcome back to the show. David Wheaton is my guest. We're talking about developing and embracing a Christian worldview. David, we've talked about the foundation of the Christian worldview. Maybe we can jump to the uh, fundamentals of a Christian worldview for review. Yeah, it's really like building a house. How was a house built, Bill? You, you, you pour a foundation, a concrete foundation first, and we've talked about that, what that foundation is. But then you have the, the walls come up, sort of the framework or the, or the fundamentals that, that hold the house together. And that's what the fundamentals of a Christian worldview are. And there's, there's really four things here that explain or how do we understand what in the world is going on, explains the arc of history. It's kind of a big word for this, the meta-narrative, the big story of, of life. And the, the, the four fundamentals is that, number one, that God created perfection and established his will and ways at the very beginning. He showed his design and his intention for life in the very beginning, and it was very good, as it says in Genesis chapter 1. Number two, though, we see right there in the beginning of Genesis that man rebels against what God has created. And what the result of that is not, not that man's good and everything lives on gloriously, but it wreaks corruption and death and alienation from God. And so, and then point three, after God created perfection and man rebels and there's corruption, is redemption. That God immediately and graciously provides one way for man to be made right, to be reconciled to God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ, right there in Genesis chapter 3 is the first mention of the gospel uh, in Scripture. It's, you know, Jesus didn't come from, you know, just in the, first, the New Testament he's mentioned, but there's, an, there's a shadow, a hint of him right there in Genesis 3. And then the fourth fundamental of a Christian worldview is that in the future, what's the future about? The future is about restoration and recreation, that God is going to reward the righteous in the, in the future, those who have 
believed him. He's going to punish those who have rebelled against him, who have unrepentantly rebelled against him. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And those are the four fundamentals of a Christian worldview. When you understand those things, that God's perfect, man's rebelled, Christ is the way of redemption, and, and what's coming in the future, then you understand you know, what's going on in the world right now, the, the, the battles, the spiritual battles, the, the things, the issues of our day. It, it gives it, um, you, you can understand these things from a, a Christian or biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. David, how do we form a Christian worldview? How does that happen? Yes. Yeah, so you go from the foundation to those fundamentals, and now you go to, well, we know that all that now. Well, what about the formation? How do you form a Christian worldview? And forming a Christian worldview is not simply about, you know, for the intelligent or intellectuals out there, or it's not about just accumulating facts or knowledge about the Bible or attending Bible studies and so forth. It's not It's not about holding particular, you know, political views, whether conservative or liberal, now I have a Christian worldview. Those are all misconceptions. The truth is a Christian worldview is really formed in two steps, and then these steps are available to anyone and everyone. And the first step is we must be saved or reconciled to God. You know, Christ said to Nicodemus in John 3, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you need a spiritual rebirth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the entry point the, the door opens to a Christian worldview once you know and believe in the Christ of the Christian worldview. Because once you have repented and believed in Christ and who he is and what he did for you on the cross, then God saves you. He regenerates you. He gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit to help you understand what you're reading in the Bible so you can not only understand it, but you can apply it. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step is by being by being saved. And step two is by being sanctified. And, and so once you go from being dead in your trespasses and sins and you're saved, a lifelong journey of sanctification begins in your life. And sanctification is really just, it's about becoming more like Jesus Christ himself, thinking like him, conforming our lives to his, uh, drawing near to him, loving him. And as we do, there will be things that we understand and things that we we stay away from and things we cling to. Mm-hmm. So this means that the ordinary means of grace are, are God's means of sanctifying us. And what's what are the more ordinary means of God's grace? Well, this is done in community by being a member of a faithful local church. This is how God designed for us to grow, to be under the, the teaching of his word, the fellowship with other believers, the, the taking of communion, prayer, these kinds of things in community are how God sanctifies us, and then individually also sanctifies us when we read and study and meditate and pray through the Word under the leading of the Holy Spirit. So this is how a a Christian worldview is formed, and this is not an overnight process. It's sort of a day-by-day, week-by-week process where you get a sharper and sharper biblical worldview. So good. David Wheaton is my guest. David, let's uh, talk about the function of a Christian worldview. I know there is one. There is. So that's the fourth element that we talked about this year. It's the final element. And, you know, you, you, you form a Christian worldview, the third element, to, to not just to have it, but just you to put it to use every day. You know, the, the function of a Christian worldview is not just so you, 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 you act or think a certain way on Sunday at church or religious uh, occasions like Christmas. No, the, the, the point of developing or forming a Christian worldview is to use it. In other words, to be able to discern 
I mean, we live in info wars today, you know, just all the different stuff that's coming at us. And you have to discern truth from error. Uh, you have to be able to overcome temptation to recognize it and replace it and flee it. You have to be able to evaluate the, the right kind of person for marriage or how to have a stronger marriage. Mm-hmm. This is all based on a biblical worldview. You know, you have to know how to raise your kids and help them develop a Christian worldview. You have to be able to understand and endure the trials that inevitably come in life. You have to understand what the gospel is and how to proclaim it to someone else. This all stems from the formation of a Christian worldview. So in one sentence, Bill, the function of a Christian worldview is for the believer to think and live like Christ for God's glory. Hmm. Ultimately, though, the Christian worldview is not just a way to think and live, but it's ultimately about a person, Christ, to know, to know him, to love him, and to follow him and worship him. So embracing a Christian worldview, to sum it all up, is ultimately about embracing Christ himself. Mm. That's well said, David. I know at the Christian Worldview, you've got a lot happening coming up as early as next summer in 2024. You're going to have some training courses. I'd love to hear about that. We do. So we're excited about this. This has been several years in the thought process, but uh, 2024, this summer, we are planning to bring it to pass. We're going to hold something called the Overcomer Course. And the Overcomer course is is a two-day course. It's going to be held at a farm just outside the Twin Cities in Jordan. And it's going to be immersive discussion about the most important issues in life, whether it's what's our purpose in life, what we've been talking about with regard to worldview, what's the gospel, how does that apply, what does it mean to pursue godliness, Mm -hmm. how about decision-making, relationships, marriage. It's really a life course, and it's really going to be targeted at two age groups. There's going to be a young adult overcomer course for, let's say, ages 19 to 25. Awesome. And there's going to be a student course for ages 16 to 18. And the, the goal is how to become what Christ calls an overcomer. And I, I love that word, Bill, because it's a word that is recurs a lot in Scripture. You probably noticed in Revelation at the end of every single letter or message to the churches in Revelation, all seven, Christ ends his message with, to him who overcomes, mm. you know, I will give the crown of life or he will be with me and so forth. And Jesus said about himself in the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen. So an overcomer is a true believer who loves God and lives for his glory. And that these intentionally small courses, maybe 20 people per course, it's mm-hmm. not going to be so much podium preaching or a worship music experience or fun and games. But it's going to be more like gather around and have guided discussion and reasoning where questions and honest challenges are welcome. It's like a life course to, to sharpen one's purpose and clarity. Instead of wandering through your 20s, let's get some purpose and clarity on life. Yeah. David, that sounds outstanding. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it in the, in the new year, and maybe we can talk about it uh, going into 2024. I would very much look forward to that, Bill. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, David Wheaton has been my guest, and a big round of applause, everyone, for this great study on embracing uh, a Christian worldview. David, thanks so much, and have a great rest of the day, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. You too, Bill. Thank you so much. You bet. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold.
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Something that's always near and dear to my heart are incarcerated people. And of course, their families are uh, extremely isolated from their loved ones. And when it comes to Christmas time, mom or dad can't be present in their lives. And also, there is no way to be necessarily supplying these kids with things that, that would absolutely delight them because maybe mom or dad is away behind bars. Uh, Chris Watts is the senior director of the correctional program for Prison Fellowship Angel Tree. It's an organization I have a lot of love for. And when he sent the invitation to talk to him, I jumped on it right away. Chris, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having it's great to be here. And thank you so much for saying that. Let's just chat a little bit. I, I don't even know if my audience knows too much about the fact that I've been in 80 prisons across the country, uh, many as a volunteer, by the way. I just want to let you know that. Um, but I also have had the experience of knowing what it's like when uh, inmates have their kids receive gifts through the Angel Tree program and what it means to them. Uh, most of the time, they're in tears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think back to when I first got involved with this, I started as a volunteer myself back in 2010. I worked for three years doing it uh, late at night after I would get home from a long day of work. I just really had a passion for this calling. And in 2013, I believe I was called to come into the Phoenix, Arizona. But one of my favorite stories that just expresses what exactly is being done with this angel tree program and how it works with the men and women that are incarcerated is I got to know a gentleman after he was released from prison and he was reconnected with his family back through specifically with this program because what he got to do when he was incarcerated was he had the ability, the opportunity to sign up his daughter to receive a Christmas present from a local church. When the local church called his ex-wife, his ex-wife said, I don't think that she needs any more presents. But the daughter said, I want a present from my daddy. Oh, and so, so the sweet. church, it is, it is. The church came, they delivered the present. And it wasn't long after that, that she reached out to her dad to thank him. Now, he couldn't remember what he had actually signed up for. He just uh, wasn't sure at the time. And so he ended up finding out that Prison Fellowship was the organization responsible for that. He went to his chaplain on the inside and found out that we conducted a church service in that particular unit and he actually came to know jesus christ as his lord and savior through that church services that was being offered in that time he has since been out and released for almost 10 years now and he actually remarried his ex-wife so i still keep up with family and um this is the kind of impact that angel tree has uh from from the viewpoint of somebody who's actually in the system and is incarcerated it, it is one of those opportunities, Chris, that when we can help an inmate in a tangible way, like providing a gift for their their child, we, we've got their attention. You're doing what for me? T- yeah. Tell me more about this Jesus. I mean, it is such a big deal. And when they can uh, sign up and then their kids get gifts, it is really uh almost transformational in many occasions. And I think the person you just suggested is a perfect illustration of that. Yeah. And it, and it works in two different ways. One is directly back to that uh, man or woman who is incarcerated as well as to the caretakers that are taking care of these children. You know, one out of 49 children in America 
have one or both parents that are incarcerated. It's a staggering statistic. And one of the things that our program is able to do is work with local churches to find those kids that are located in their very zip code. So if they can start with a gift on the behalf of the parent, but then it's also an opportunity for that local church to get to know the caretaker. So to check on them on a regular basis throughout the year, maybe invite their kids to come to an angel tree camp that is completely paid for by our organization mm -hmm. or, or to just check in or to just look the caretaker in the eyes and say, I appreciate you. I see you. You know, the other caretaker isn't necessarily the other parent. In many cases, it's a grandparent as well as maybe an aunt, an uncle, or a brother and sister. And so they might not have even wanted this to happen. And so during this Christmas season, they're going through a very difficult time. So for, for that local church to come in and step in and be a resource for them to lighten up the household and to also be a support for that caretaker can really move mountains and can really change lives. Yeah, I love that, that it's a grassroots movement because the churches are the ones that know the kids in the community find out the kids in the community who have parents who are incarcerated. And Chris, it's yeah. not like they're just getting a generic gift. A lot of times, as I remember it back when I was more involved with prison fellowship and angel tree was a kid could say, you know, what I, what I really want is a new backpack, you know, so yeah. I can put my books in school. And then we go out and buy a backpack and then the gift gets delivered all wrapped up with a, a, a message from the parents saying, Merry Christmas, and I love you. And, and so they're actually getting a gift that they were hoping they'd get. Yeah, you're exactly right. We try to encourage those local churches to contact the caretaker first. Um, just because in some instances, the parent um, may not know the exact size of their clothing. Right. So there's always a request for clothing that comes alongside with the toys. Um, and then to kind of just double check because the parent might think that they know what the toy is, but the caretaker might say they've changed in the last couple of weeks and now they would really like to have this particular toy. But, you know, what I've seen over the years, because my own local church has been involved in the delivery of these presents, is it really doesn't matter what the toy is. Uh, we've actually I've actually seen and witnessed teenage boys uh, right up to the age of 18 um, just stare at the message from their parent. Right. Um, irregardless of what the what the actual present is so if it's a basketball whatever it is they're happy with that but they're more uh fulfilled with what's actually coming to them which is a which is a wish and, and a thoughtful message coming from that parent which just means a whole lot mm -hmm. chris watts is my guest he's the senior director of correctional programs and angel tree which is an amazing program and chris when you invite a, an inmate to say would you be interested in going to chapel a lot will say no nah, maybe maybe not but if yeah. we say would you like for this lovely organization to get your child a gift that they would like for christmas and it'll be coming from you uh there's not a lot of people that turn that one down you're exactly right um many people in the institution are attracted to that message that's being conveyed to them. And in some cases, we have to be careful to make sure that everybody is getting that application. It can be sometimes trickier than you realize because it becomes such a hot commodity on the inside. So we work really closely with the prison chaplain to make sure that those are being given out to everybody who wants an opportunity to have one of those. And we also know that in this day and age, in the in the culture that we live in, sometimes families can be a little bit tricky. And so we extend that opportunity to reach out to children um, 
where it might be a stepfather or maybe a grandfather who had a, a very um, strong role in raising that particular child. Because again, the ultimate goal here is that that man or woman who was in prison come to know Jesus Christ. It's also the goal that those caretakers can be contacted by that local church and loved and invited to as many things as possible that that local church might be doing throughout the year. So uh, we, we try to extend it to anyone and everyone just to get um, to a place where we can reach out to those families. Yeah, Chris, it's really a, a, an incredible step uh, to say, we'd like to do this. And now all of a sudden the caregivers on the outside are drawn into this lovely church community that's caring about their child or their, their granddaughter or grandson or nephew or niece or whoever might be the caregiver at the time. Yeah. And they are going, who are you people? And why are you yeah. being nice to me? Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up because um, sometimes it's going to take time. And while the opportunity is right there in our backyards, sometimes once you get a family, you will generally get assigned to them year after year as long as you keep going with the program. And so we had a family just like that. It was a wonderful woman raising um, six kids on her own. And we just got to know them as time went by. We would always invite them to our services, especially to our Christmas Eve services. And she would unfortunately always have to work or have some sort of an excuse. But one year after enough years go by, she showed up and she started attending our church just because she said, we are consistent. We're a consistent presence in that community to reflect that love and that joy and that peace that comes with you know, knowing who we are, knowing that where our faith comes from. Yeah, uh, we're doing the, the gift, Angel Tree Gift at my church, and and you can just see the interest that people have. They they couldn't really be signing up fast enough. And then last week, I think there was a, a, a gift wrapping um, session where everyone uh, showed up and wrapped gifts. And I don't do the scotch tape very well, so I didn't volunteer to wrap <laughs> gifts. That's very, yeah. tr- that's very tricky to me, the, the, the tape dispenser yeah. thing. So you understand, don't you, Chris? <laughs> Oh, we do our own wrapping party at our church as oh, well. Yeah, um, yeah. I always say there's something for everyone. So, I mean, if you're just wanting to kind of um, put your toe in the water and see what this is like, we have, um, you know, the, the Christmas tree that stands in the middle of the lobby and you can grab an angel and purchase right. a gift for them. Now, I know that we're coming up close on Christmas Eve is right around the corner. So we've actually got a few children that are left across the country that we're having difficult time finding support for. And that usually happens when we've got a church or I'm sorry, when we've got a child who is located very rurally mm-hmm. uh, in an didn't... area that's hard yeah. to reach or maybe in a poverty-stricken area where the church has membership that also cannot afford to, to purchase gifts. And so um, if you have any listeners that would be interested in helping in kind of these last days, we have a wonderful way that they can go onto our website, prisonfellowship.org, and they can find some children that are still kind of waiting for some sponsorship to come their way. And uh, they can they can make a difference in these kids' lives. And it would be uh, just a really wonderful part, uh, a thing to be a part of for them. Yeah, when, it, when a child gets a, a gift on Christmas Day, and maybe it's a, a new football or it's something that they can instantly start enjoying. And there's, there's a message from dad or there's a yeah. message from mom um, saying how much I miss you and wish I could be there with you. And this is what I know you were hoping to get. And I just want to wish you my love and Merry Christmas. And like you say, Chris, they spend as much time staring at this note from mom or dad than they do the gift. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. There are more children than we realize in, in our own communities that are dealing with this very um, 
difficult issue of having an incarcerated parent. They're very good at keeping it secret so that their friends don't know about it. Sure. Um, they usually talk about their, uh, it's it's almost more desirable, sadly, to say for them to be in a divorce situation than to have a situation like this. So for us to be able to come alongside them as a community and just kind of lift them up, um, it just really, it means a lot. And it's a really our own piece of trying to change the world. Yeah. Not to mention a, a kid can go back to school with uh, whatever that new object is and go, hey, look at, look at my dad got me. Yeah. Look at my mom got me this Christmas. It's like, <laughs> You know, it just validates them that they're thought about and cared for. And I think it's um, a great, a great program. Um, just let me go back to some of the statistics because I, I, when you mentioned them early on, it was yeah. kind of a staggering statistic. Would you uh, refer to those again? Yeah. One in 49 children in the United States have one or both parents that are incarcerated. Wow. It really just, um, it's a simple statistic, but it's staggering. It's more people than you would know about or realize because again, it's a great secret. Um, I actually had an opportunity one year to attend a camp as a counselor for for a group of children. And one of the groups of children that were assigned to me were those who were from a care home or a foster home situation. And I have to tell you, I'm used to only working with the grownups. So I'm I'm used to working in the correctional programs. And so I'm not going to lie. And it wasn't necessarily called to work with children in this capacity, but um, they challenged me. They were complicated. They had a lot of behavioral issues, but I'll never forget when one of them, we had, a, we would have a prayer group every single morning and one of the kids raised his hand and was brave enough to ask that we pray for his mother who had just been brought into jail. And I thought this completes the circle of my own knowledge. I, I guess I had never even thought about that, that many of these misbehaving children are starting from this because those parents are dealing with their own situations or they're being taken away from them. And so for them to be able to have an opportunity to go to camp, when I found out that their local church had paid for them to get to this particular camp, you know, that was almost, I'm going to say, I think eight years ago. And I promised that group of foster children that I would pray for them every day and that I would never forget who they were. Mm -hmm. Well, oddly enough, the pastor, and this was located in Yuma, Arizona, the pastor there ended up adopting all of those children. And what? I want to say there's, uh, there's four boys and two girls, and they all became part of his family. And I still see those kids to this day when we go to our district assemblies. And I go up to them and I say their name. And many times they, they vaguely remember me from their childhood, but I say I made you a promise. Wow, Chris. And those kids are all doing really, really well. It's really wonderful to see that. Chris, I don't use the word hero very often, but I'm using it for you today. That's really, that's really really awesome. Um, God, God has put something on my heart and my own ministry work. And that is when I first got involved in doing, uh, this ministry inside of the prisons, I didn't feel qualified. I don't have a past where I was incarcerated myself. And so I believe that God just told me one very important thing. And that is know their names as quick as you can. Now, I'm not a name person, mm-hmm. but very quickly, I just took that upon myself to go home, write down as many notes as I could about each individual person who showed up for church that night. And when I would get back there, I would remember their name. And the immediate connection that that would create was something I had never seen before. The, these gentlemen located out in the middle of Buckeye, Arizona, who would feel like they have nothing in common with me, right. would find an immediate bond because I would at least know their name. And so then over time, 
they know that I'm interested in them and would start sharing other things in their life with me. And we could start bonding that way on based on the things that we have in common, not on the things that we don't have in common. Well, whenever a person feels loved or noticed, that always is uh, so impactful. I, I do yeah. work with men in recovery and I can, I can study the picture roster and I can yeah. learn the names and I can go up and say, Hey, Jason, how are you? And I've never yeah. met him before. And he yeah. is flabbergasted. How do you know my name? Yeah. We've never met. And I said, well, because you're here and, and I care about you. And it's like, yeah, I, it's, I, I can't do a better magic trick. There is no, one does not exist. I agree. It's such a valuable message that these men and women that we work with that are in recovery, that they have value and meaning and that they mean something. We find that in the Bible itself. You know, God knows every hair on our head. Um, he, if he knows that much information, he knows who you are. He knows that you're important and valuable. Yeah. And if I could do nothing else in this ministry, it's just trying to tell those that I come into contact with that they also matter and mean something to me. Mm -hmm. Chris Watts is my guest. He's the senior director of correctional programs for uh, Angel Tree, which is a a division of Prison Fellowship. It's an amazing organization. I've been uh, working off and on with Prison Fellowship for 12 years, but that's been many years ago, but I did a lot of work with them. I myself have been in, in over 80 prisons. And when you meet incarcerated people whose lives were touched by the beauty of Angel Tree, they're changed forever. It's really powerful. And Chris, how do I direct people to take a, a look at the website and maybe see if there's a way they could help a kid, especially in a rural community who's not being um, reached? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to prisonfellowship.org and there will be a link there to get to Angel Tree. Okay. And they will show you it. It's a live um, updated field. So as soon as a kid is spoken for, that name is removed. Okay. And you on there and you can grab one or two or 10 kids and you can um, pseudo adopt them for the holiday season. Okay. And, um, and you can do some contributions on their behalf. Now for this particular instance, you don't have to go and buy a toy because this is uh we're in the final days here. We're just looking to try and uh, get some last second coverage for those kids who are just really in the outskirts of those hard to reach areas. And, um, and if they're not reached through the website, we still have other ways to get to them and, and, and connect with them. But um, this would be a huge blessing if we could just get as many people as possible up um, before Christmas Day so that we can get that to them along connected with the message from their parent wishing them a Merry Christmas. Okay, Chris, just because I want to not confuse anybody, I am at prisonfellowship.org and I don't see, let's see, double your chance. Let's see, last chance to double your angel tree gift. Is that, is that what I do? Um, let me see here. Yeah, I just um, want to make sure I don't, uh, I'm going to have to jump. I'll be right back. Okay. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter... Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. All right, I'm not super tech savvy, but I figured it out. I'm talking to Chris Watts, who is the Senior Director of Correctional Programs at Prison Fellowship and Angel Tree. And during the break, Chris, just so you know, I went to uh, PrisonFellowship.org. Then there, it says donate, and I went to the donate. I scrolled down to Angel Tree. 
I clicked on that. That offered up uh, another page. I was able to make my donation, process it, and click, and I've made my donation in the 90 seconds we were gone. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about those rural kids, those kids who are not going to get a little toy at Christmas time. Yeah. And yeah. isn't life hard enough, Chris? Very, very. This, this is a very challenging time of year for a lot of people. But, um, you know, we're we are that source. We're called to be that salt and that light to the people that are in our community. And I just think there's no better way to start than by um, than by looking at this and by doing this. And and while some of these children who are a little bit more tricky to be reached aren't part of our direct community, they're still part of a community. And um, generally, the message that we give to them when we give them their gifts is that we are partnered with some local churches that can get to them throughout the year as well, just to check in on them and stay close to them. Mm-hmm. And when Christmas comes, uh, prisoners or inmates, their children often wonder, does mommy or daddy still love me? Uh, yeah. And do they even remember me anymore? I mean, trying to visit mom and dad when they're incarcerated is not easy. I've been in the in the family visiting rooms of many, many prisons, and it's it's um, it's not easy. Yeah, it's very true. One of the um, one of the myths about many prisons, many states, and the way that they run their prisons is that the incarcerated individual will be close to home. But just because of uh, bed and space issues, that's almost never the case. And so when you're incarcerated inside of a state Department of Corrections, you have to go where there's room for you. And that can create a tremendous amount of strain on the family as they try to figure out how to get out to you to visit, which sometimes takes more gas than they can afford. So that's another thing that Prison Fellowship is able to come in and kind of help uh, alleviate that tension because we can get as volunteers to our closest prison and be that sort of interconnected um, person that can get to those men and women who are incarcerated and be somebody that visits with them and helps them to know that they are not forgotten about by their local communities. Yeah. When I did a lot of uh, prison ministry, Chris, there would be times when we would put on events and word would get out that if you attended the event, you were going to get a nice ice cream bar at the end of it. And for, <laughs> and for some people, that was all it took to go, well, I, I'll go. Get an ice cream bar, and that makes yeah. them happy. And then we have yep. them in their in our audience, and they're hearing the, the gospel. Now, uh, trip, yeah. triple or quadruple that gift from an ice cream bar to a wrapped present for their child. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right, and you're going to just see a lot of um, people jumping on board to participate in that. Um, and most importantly, with a follow up on that, and that is, uh, you know, our, and many churches will actually write back to the incarcerated individual. We encourage that mm-hmm. to let them know that we got your uh, particular child in this instance. We, we keep the families together. So one church serves a particular family. So we at this church, um, we, we got your child this year. We delivered the presents. Um, everything went really well. They were extremely excited. In some cases, with the permission from the caretaker, we're able to take pictures and send those pictures into the incarcerated individual just so that we can bless them. Mm-hmm. Matthew 25, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Not That's everyone. literally the scripture I was reading this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably doing a lot of these interviews right now because we're really getting <laughs> kind of close down to the wire and you're probably hoping for you know last minute help uh, because a lot of the, a lot of the prison, uh, the Angel Tree events have been happening at churches throughout the month. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
And it's a particular piece of scripture that applies directly to us because it's not only feeding those who are hungry and visiting those who are in prison. It's 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 caring about those people who the rest of society says are living on the margins. I commonly say that a lot of the people who are incarcerated are kind of modern day lepers. Yeah. So those who get out of prison, they face a lot of second prison challenges that come with trying to find a new job. And so I really was moved 13 years ago to get into this organization and to volunteer because of a scripture like we find in Matthew 25 that pushes me forward to say, um, to find those people. And when you find those people, that's where you see God. Yeah. Chris, do you have another story? Because, you know, we love stories of an encounter that you had or the organization had with an inmate who whose life was transformed because of the connection to Angel Tree and the, and the gift that their child received. I have a million stories. <laughs> be careful when you ask for something like that. Um, you know, a lot of what we do in this organization is we just collect. We see so many things that are happening. We just collect these stories. Right. But um, I'll probably, I'll probably uh, share with you one story that impacted me personally. Okay. I came, I came on board in 2013 as a field director over the state of Arizona, which meant I was in charge of getting ministry up and running inside of the prisons. There's 27 prisons in Arizona. There's a lot of opportunity to set up church services, academy programs that helps with the more intensive programming, hope events, which is what we which is what we do out on the yard, more and evangelical in nature, where yes. we do the all all and we bring in the bands. That was where my sweet spot was. And so Angel Tree for me was, again, like I was saying, I wasn't naturally called to work with children. And I was also not exactly sure what Angel Tree was. And so my first experience, just like what you were talking about, was to go to an Angel Tree sign-up event inside of a prison. And I remember seeing a lot of the guys kind of looking half asleep while they were doing it and asking their friends, right. you know, what is this program all about? It's just free stuff. Just do it. Just do it. And so huh. I was questioning what is the purpose of this if these guys don't appear thankful up front? And then after years of seeing many of these uh, these children connecting back in ways that I could never dream or imagine, I remember one gentleman, he said that uh, through the Angel Tree program and through other means, he actually reached out to previous girlfriends. And again, keep in mind, a lot of these men come from a very difficult I know. poverty where they're trained to leave their women as yeah. soon as they possibly can. So he called as many as he hey, could find. Chris, I'm yeah. so sorry. I ran out of time. I didn't know hey, your story no. would last this long, but no, that's okay. I just want to let people yeah. know, prisonfellowship.org. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.